Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today I'm joined by Dr. Andrew Jimenez, who is a sports medicine and hip preservation surgeon at Yale University. Dr. Jimenez was the first author of the article titled, Athletes Undergoing Concomitant Hip Arthroscopy and Periacetabular Osteotomy Demonstrate Greater Than 80% Return to Sport Rate at Two-Year Minimum Follow-Up, which was published in the September 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Jimenez, and thank you so much for joining me. Yep, thanks for having me. Andrew, to start our discussion, will you tell us a little bit about your practice and your journey into the field of hip preservation? I'm early in practice right now. I'm, I'm starting my second year in practice over at Yale University. In terms of my journey into hip preservation, you know, I did a sports fellowship at uh, the University of Connecticut and got great experience in you know, generalized sports and hip arthroscopy there. And then I think wanted to kind of take it to uh, the next level and get a little bit more in depth uh, in terms of hip preservation experience. And uh, I think to do that, uh, at least for me, the right move was to do a dedicated year of training in hip preservation surgery. So I did a second fellowship in hip preservation surgery at Ben Dome out at the American Hip Institute uh, in Chicago. That's great. And that, um, as you know, is the same path that I took. So I think more and more, you're finding more of us in the world of hip preservation who have done the sports fellowship first and then hip preservation second, if not some other fellowship prior to the hip preservation fellowship. So, but like, I think it's an interesting thing with um, how sports medicine training is going and there's kind of more of an emphasis on you know, hip arthroscopy at a lot of places. And then, you know, the field of, of hip preservation is growing so much in terms of, you know, techniques and, and things like that. Uh, I think it may be harder and harder to kind of get that, you know, comprehensive training just from a, a single year at a sports medicine fellowship. So for me, it was definitely worth it to do the extra year. Yeah. I agree. And it is interesting. Some of those other fellowships that you, people will do before a hip preservation fellowship include, include pediatric, orthopedics, trauma. Uh, and so I think hip preservation itself um, has become a very multidisciplinary field with all of these people kind of collectively getting that hip preservation training, but coming at it with various past expertise in, in uh, you know, other fields throughout orthopedic surgery. So very, very interesting to see where this field is going to go. So talking about your paper, can you give us a background on why you wanted to ask this clinical question of whether patients with a combined hip arthroscopy and periacetabular osteotomy return to sport and at what rate? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, in general outcomes of, of athletes undergoing different hip preservation procedures is uh, a little bit understudied. And uh, we've looked into a lot in terms of athletes undergoing uh, hip arthroscopy and I think on the surface, there may be some hesitancy among athletes to undergo or consider undergoing a, a PAO just because it seems like a more invasive procedure with maybe a tougher recovery. So I think that it's important to kind of look at the outcomes of, of how athletes do uh, in regards to undergoing this procedure and then establishing, you know, return to sport rates and outcomes in these patients so we can better kind of counsel our patients going forward. Because there's definitely going to be athletes that are not to be amenable to, you know, an arthroscopic procedure alone to get them back to the level that they want to get back to. Absolutely. And you mentioned this in your paper, but yours was one of the very first papers to look at the return to sport rate after this combined hip arthroscopy and periacetabular osteotomy procedure. There have been a couple others that looked at how frequently athletes were returning to sport after the PAO. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, this was the first time 
a publication had been done looking specifically at this combined procedure. Yeah, I think the combined procedure is interesting. It's not necessarily, you know, right or wrong to do it, I don't think, one way or the other. You know, where I trained at the American Hip Institute, where this paper is from, you know, they prefer to do the combined uh, procedure. I think it gave them better visualization of, you know, interarticular pathology that they could treat, you know, at the same time as the PAO surgery, um, which is what their reasoning was for, for doing that. But I think, uh, as has been established previously, you know, other surgeons have had great outcomes in athletes as well with the, the PAO alone. So maybe not necessarily a right or wrong way to do it, but this is just the way that uh, I had trained to do it. Uh, and I think we established pretty good outcomes uh, in these patients. Absolutely. And I was very excited to read your paper because this is actually my preferred method as well. So I really do think that if a patient has intraarticular pathology, in the setting of hip dysplasia, that they should have both the combined hip arthroscopy and PAO at the same time. And, you know, admittedly, this is a very controversial topic because there are well-demonstrated outcomes with PAO alone. Although I might point out, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, your return to sport was higher than some of those previously reported outcomes with PAO alone. And perhaps one might argue that that's because the hip arthroscopy was added to this procedure. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. You know, it gets you a good good access to a kind of comprehensive evaluation of the intraarticular pathology. You can get a nice you know, femoroplasty or cam correction if that's necessary and if that's indicated. You know, at the same time, I, I'll, I'll admit that sometimes return to sport can be a somewhat you know ambiguous and heterogeneously evaluated outcome. You know, I think Mark Safran has a paper from 2019 or 2020 on this in terms of all the different ways that you know folks kind of define what return to sport means. But admittedly, you know, in this paper, we did show a high, um, you know, return to sport rate of 80%. And, you know, we had a heterogeneous cohort um, in terms of recreational kind of amateur high school, uh, as well as collegiate level athletes. But that being said, we had a fair number of collegiate and high school athletes, and we showed a very high return to sport rate in those patients as well. So I think that's an encouraging message that even in, you know, higher level, you know, collegiate level, high school level athletes, uh, you're still able to have favorable outcomes and and very strong return to sport rates uh, in that patient population. Being in a sports medicine practice, I think we encounter this quite often that the PAO, the periacetabular osteotomy, is a surgery that is considered by many to be a career-ending surgery for athletes. And so I think your paper and other papers have really proved that that's absolutely not the case, that it is a surgery that that athletes can recover from and return to their level of activity, uh, though it does have a much longer recovery than a hip arthroscopy procedure alone would. Absolutely. I, I think it's a challenging conversation to have with an athlete because they may come in with kind of preconceived notions of how they're going to do. So I think, you know, having more and more literature, you know, on this topic or, you know, in these patients, uh, you know, can be helpful for counseling them, showing them that it is possible and that indicated patient, you can still get, get a great result. You know, inevitably, there's going to be some patients that are, you know, high-level athletes or athletes really of any level that, you know, may not be able to get back just from a hip arthroscopy alone. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about the periastabular osteotomy. So as we're doing this arthroscopy journal podcast, um, this may not be immediately evident as a procedure that our listeners will often do themselves. However, I think it's extremely important for hip arthroscopists to be able to correctly identify and then refer patients who would be more appropriate for a periacetabular osteotomy. 
So can you take us briefly through your diagnostic approach to hip dysplasia and how you decide to indicate patients for either a PAO alone or a combined arthroscopic and open procedure? Yeah, so you know, my evaluation basically is the same for, for any hip patient, but you know, when evaluating dysplasia, we always get you know, radiographic views of the hip, and that includes you know, measurements of angles like the LCEA or lateral center edge angle, the ACEA or anterior center edge angle. Uh, we'll measure the acetabular inclination. We'll take a look at the, uh, the fear index as well. Uh, physical examination also comes into play in terms of evaluating for impingement tests, signs of apprehension, uh, evidence of generalized ligamentous laxity. We'll always get a baton for um, all patients. And then just like most patients, uh, I'll get a MRI to evaluate for intraarticular pathology, check for things like a labral tear. I can also evaluate for any evidence of cartilage injury or ligamentum teres injury as well uh, with that. Uh, and then generally for these patients, I'll, I'll always get uh, a preoperative CT scan, and we'll do a femoral antiversion protocol, which will also evaluate uh, femoral version as well. And patients that I think you know, would benefit from having a PAO, we'll have them also see and be evaluated by one of my partners who does open hip surgery and does and would be doing the uh, PAO portion of the surgery. And I think doing this, we have a nice kind of multidisciplinary approach, and we kind of have two folks that are looking at uh, the patient kind of weighing in who are both you know, experts in their respective areas. So that's kind of the, the algorithm that I would, I would typically go through. Great. Now, can you also discuss the logistics of these combined procedures? So when during the, the procedure do you do the hip arthroscopy first or second? Is it staged or non-staged? What is your preference? Yeah, so I, I do it the same way that I was, you know, trained with, with Ben Dome. So, you know, for me, I, I, I'm only, uh, I don't do the PAO portion of the procedure. So I would have uh, to collaborate with one of my uh, partners who does the open portion of the procedure. So we would generally find a day where both of us are available and have ample block time to do the surgery. Um, we would generally do it all in one, one procedure in, in one surgery. Uh, we would always start with the hip arthroscopy portion of the procedure first. Uh, that would be just on our standard distraction table. Once the hip arthroscopy portion uh, was completed, so that would involve, you know, diagnostic arthroscopy, treatment of intraarticular pathology, possibly ephemeroplasty if indicated. We would move on to the uh, open portion of the procedure. That would generally involve uh, transition to a flat-top radiolucent table for the open portion of the procedure. And then once that, you know, occurs, my partner would come in and, and kind of take over uh, from there. One thing of note is that we would generally leave the capsule unrepaired from the arthroscopic portion and then just do an open implication at the time uh, of the open surgery. Thanks so much for taking us through that. It's, it's really interesting because uh, there are so many different ways to approach this. Um, and I think we've heard from many of our other colleagues, you know, sometimes they will stage the procedure, do the hip arthroscopy you know, one day, and then two weeks later have the patient undergo a PAO. The various Procedures actually performed during the arthroscopic portion of the surgery vary as well. Um, so for me personally, I like to do the same as, as you described, you know, hip arthroscopy first, labral repair if necessary, uh, any chondral treatment, femoroplasty if indicated, capsule closure um, arthroscopically, because I happen to be the one who also does the PAO, it actually is faster for me to close the capsule arthroscopically. And then um, and then I elevate the iliocapsularis as part of my dissection before doing the open PAO. And, you know, speaking of where is this field going to go, um, you know, 
I now do both portions of that procedure on the same traction table because the area of the pelvis is radiolucent. And so that saves quite a bit of time with, um, with the transition between uh, one table to the other. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, there's no wrong way to do this, as, as you mentioned, you know, I think um, it's, it has to do with what level of comfort the surgeons have. And then in your case, if you're this, the same surgeon doing the whole procedure versus a, a part of a team, you know, things vary quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I know open surgeons absolutely prefer the, the flat top table to the arthroscopic traction table when doing the open portion of the procedure as well. Yeah, I think just if working with another surgeon, it's just helpful to be, you know, flexible in how to do things. And, you know, whatever works best for them, I think, is what I try to accommodate to. Absolutely. And and speaking of that, I mean, when you're working with a, another surgeon who does the open portion of the procedure, what would you note as some of the technical tips and tricks that you've noted that you might change when you're doing the hip arthroscopy for um, a patient who is just about to undergo a PAO versus when you do the hip arthroscopy alone? Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there, there's some differences, of course, between those two. You know, for one, starting off, you know, hip arthroscopy alone, I would do in an outpatient basic basis, come and go home the same day. Um, when I do hip arthroscopy with, with my partner with combined PAO, we'll generally admit to the hospital generally for a night and then go home the next day. There are some uh, challenges that can happen with this kind of combined approach. You know, it's a big surgery, so there's a lot of operative time. And, and you know, in terms of the way we do it, there's a transition from one table to the other. There's going to be fluid extra- extravasation for my arthroscopic portion, which can sometimes uh, make the PAO portion uh, a little bit more challenging, but I always try to move expeditiously uh, as is feasible through the arthroscopic portion to try to mitigate that form. The other thing that comes into play is just kind of logistics of, you know, two surgeons having time available, block time, things like that. And that coordination, uh, if you're working with two different surgeons, kind of adds another layer of difficulty versus just having a solo surgeon doing, you know, one or both procedures. Absolutely. And that leads me to another question that I have, you know, for those listeners who are hip arthroscopists alone, but not themselves open hip preservation surgeons, what do you think are some of the things that you found most helpful for setting up a collaborative approach to these patients who also need a PAO? Yeah, I think, you know, if you do hip arthroscopy alone, I think you just, I think it's important to realize that uh, you're not going to be able to treat every pathology that you see with a hip arthroscopy just by itself. There's inevitably going to be some proportion of patients that are going to need open PAO surgery, you know, as well. So with that in mind, I think it's important to, uh, if you don't do it yourself, to establish um, a relationship with another surgeon that does the open PAO surgery. I, I would say ideally that that surgery would be in the same institution as you. If that's not the case, then um, you could potentially establish a relationship with another surgeon uh, in the area or in the region that you could collaborate with. And then if that's not possible, then I think it's important to establish a good um, relationship with someone that you can refer that patient to uh, that is at a center that could handle doing those combined procedures. Yeah, excellent. So back to your study, can you summarize the general findings of the study, the results that you came upon, and then tell us how you're going to apply these or have applied these to your practice and to your education of trainees? Yeah, I mean, I think the you know, the main finding of the paper is that you know, an athlete that undergo uh, PAO surgery combined with hip arthroscopy, they had great, I would say, favorable outcomes at minimum two year follow up, uh, high rates of achieving psychometric thresholds, and overall, the return to sport rate was high uh, at greater than eighty percent. 
uh, we established an 80, 82% rate in the paper. So I think that papers like this, and, and there's more work on this topic that needs to be done, but I think that this type of literature helps us when we're talking with these types of patients in our clinic and being able to show them, you know, hard evidence that it is possible to have a strong return to sport rate, good outcomes, even in those kind of higher demand athlete patients uh, that are undergoing the combined procedure. And I think having this kind of literature out there may kind of hopefully prevent the mistake of uh, doing a scope alone when, when a scope alone is not indicated or trying to stretch the limits of, of arthroscopy alone uh, when perhaps a PAO is indicated in that patient. Yeah, that's an excellent summary. And you're absolutely right. I think that was one of the reasons I thought your paper made such an excellent statement is that we don't have to fear the PAO, that it is a surgery that if indicated can help the patient get back to their desired level of pain-free activity. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jimenez. Um, any final parting thoughts before we end our discussion today? No, I would say, uh, you know, thanks a lot for, for having me on the call. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you, and I hope that this podcast is helpful. And any other questions regarding the paper, uh, anyone can feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. Dr. Jimenez's article titled, Athletes Undergoing Concomitant Hip Arthroscopy and Periacetabular Osteotomy Demonstrate Greater Than 80% Return to Sport Rate at Two-Year Minimum Follow-Up can be found online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. 